Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Michael here at I Love Real Estate, also in the Knowledge Source office, and welcome to a brand new event, a brand new session, a brand new interview that uh, Dimpner wants to get going and actually get a little bit of inspiration going within the I Love Real Estate community. I'm going to bring out a gentleman called Mark Schneider. He has been involved with the Isle of Race real estate community many, many years now. He was one of the first students to put his hand up and share his story on the Isle of Real Estate Super Conference. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Isle of Real Estate Super Conference is the party of the year and the celebration of success. Dimna calls it this 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 name and many many students we we love this event this event is just it's where we come together as a community and we really get inspired and in seeing what students have done what they've accomplished what they've managed to do how they've overcome obstacles and it's just incredibly insightful and it, it certainly it can be very relatable um but it also gives you a, a, a good amount of inspiration to say you know what i can get out there and do that as well so I'm going to just introduce Mark a little bit now. Mark, you are here and you're ready to go, aren't you? You need to unmute yourself and you're good to go. I am. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Excellent. So we've still got people coming on as well, which is good. All right. So Mark, now let's just get straight into it. So welcome. Welcome to today. And thank you so much for doing this at very much a last minute. You've been very, very good at being able to very willing to speak and share a lot of information about your deals and about your journey. You've done some phenomenal things and I'm really, um, really happy that you've kind of, you know, have agreed to join us here. And, and I, it's great to see so many people coming on, on, on board. So I would like to kick off this start and just find out, let's go back to the beginning and find out when you, when you started, where were, where were you like? Where were you, where were you at before you joined the I Love Real Estate community, Mark? Um, well, thank you anyway for today's forum. This is a, a great opportunity to share. Um, look, I'd had, I'd had um, you know, experience with property prior to I Love Real Estate, but like so many other people have shared before, it was more opportunistic, less focused on a strategy, didn't really understand what we were doing, thinking negative gearing was a way to build equity. Um, so many mistakes made in the past, but I was also coming from a significantly high debt position as well in terms of personal debt, failed business that uh, hadn't worked well, didn't have a great outcome. So I was starting on a very low platform coming into I Love Real Estate. That's a common common kind of theme, isn't it? People coming in with a negative gearing and, and they're in a situation that they're trying to solve. Yeah, yeah. So what was the, what was the reason? What what like and how did you come to actually join? Because there's a bit of an interesting thing about um, an name Anderson, isn't it? When you first join, it, <laughs> it is. And um, I uh, I had I had um, you know signed up to many other so-called educators. I, I actually started with Phil Anderson, um, did a couple of deals through his network that really didn't go that well. Um, I then signed up for Bob Anderson um, and Bob's got a great program, but for me at the time, it was just too soon. I wasn't ready to just think I was going to be doing um, apartment developments or townhouse development. So I thought, oh, no, I need, I need something that eases me into that way of thinking. And um, a good friend of mine introduced me to Dimna. And so I went to her one day and it's over time I found out that she was actually the third Anderson. 
uh, with her Anderson uh, connection uh, through her husband. Uh, so it was kind of ironic that Anderson has been a, a big theme in my property journey, but uh, I only just shared with you before that my very first employer was actually Arthur Anderson uh, in the consulting space. So it seems like the Andersons have been part of my life journey. That's pretty synchronistic, Mark. <laughs> and, <laughs> I know. And for those of you who don't know as well, uh, Dipna does tell a story and the story is when that she was very young and she was living on a farm and she actually, um, was, I think I believe it was a Ponciana tree that she climbed up and she was looking and thinking about her future and she carved into the name Mrs. Dipna Anderson. And this was when she was a young girl um, on a farm in Queensland. And as it happened, she married, it wasn't an Anderson and then things fell apart and then she married again, Brian, Buholt, which apparently it doesn't sound like that when you say it. Uh, but when they were traveling overseas over to the US, um, Brian, um, Dipner's husband, the current husband, he got his passport out and in his passport, they had that name and Dipner looked at the name and went, hang on, that's not you. And Brian basically said to Dipner said, oh no, sorry, I changed my name when I, when I came over, you know, cause everyone in uh, Denmark is, um, uh, is uh, Anderson, so I changed it to Boholt. So, in actual fact, Dimner is officially <laughs> Mrs. Dimner, Mrs. Dimner Anderson. So, it's a story she tells at the boot camp, which is why that uh, uh, the thing that Mark is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So it was. It was. So I, I did the. You know, I started with the one day, the same as most people do, and it just um, it really resonated well for me. I came from a background of finance and contracts and. Um, you know, having already dabbled in property, I understood depreciation and, and all those things accounting wise. Um, but it just brought it all together into a common theme. And um, it made sense because it wasn't just about the numbers. It was about the journey and then how we can give back at the end or throughout the journey as well. So it was all quite inspiring and uh, quite eye opening. Mm, fantastic. What was the first deal that you started off with when you first came into the community? Uh, I, the first deal I did was actually a two lot splitter down in Bairnsdale and it was a bit of a get to know you project with a JV partner or a potential JV partner at the time. And uh, we did that project and we thought, yeah, this is, this works. We didn't make much money out of it because it was only two lots and it was regional. Uh, but we thought this is okay. Let's find another one, but this time let's find something where we can do eight to 10 lots and actually make some better, better coin out of it. Well, as it turned out, he found 20 acres and uh, kind of the rest is history. <laughs> so when you say the rest is history, what did it turn out? Because obviously when you're first starting out, confidence can be a bit of a, you know, a big issue to overcome. So you, you, you had to start with that to, to, to get over that hump and then you took off. So what? Yeah, I, I can, that I can talk a what was that bit about that transition. Yeah, the change there was, um, <clears throat> and, it's, and it's all about having, building the confidence you don't start with confidence you may if you do good luck to you um, some of us are building that confidence as we go so um, what doing a simple thing like a two lot splitter did for me was to actually build the confidence that we had the right team engaged so we had a really good land surveyor who's very well known in the Gippsland region uh, in fact is probably the number one um, land surveyor uh, in that space and uh, we had him engaged, so I thought, great, we can trust him and his judgment on what we propose. Um, moving from two lots to, to 90 lots, as it turned out, 
is not something I'd recommend for the faint-hearted. Um, it was a huge leap of faith, but it was also done with a good team um, that knew the region well in the Gippsland space. So this was in a town called Stratford. And, um, you know, the number of lots um, kind of has varied between 88 and 90. Uh, I think we, it ended up being in total 89, but I'd just like to call it a 90 lot subdivision. But um, it, it really brought home to me the importance of um, having great working relationships with your construction partner, uh, your land surveyor, your engineers. Uh, so we engaged an engineering consultancy firm who really did the contract management for us, uh, but they also did all the technical design prior to each stage and up front. Um, so the strength of the team, having the right A team was so important and that gave us confidence to do something that big. Absolutely. And I think the point that um, you've kind of brought up here and you've, we've mentioned as well before is that uh, the communication is key. Did you want to just elaborate on, on obviously when you have you and you get your team together, how important is communication and how did you apply that in regards to developing and forming your team? Yeah, look, um, over the last nine years I've been in I Love Real Estate, communication has just been so critical. And both communication with the team that you're working with directly on a project was important. Um, and that comes back to having clear roles and that, that's what worked well for us. Um, but also having clear communication with your investors who are backing you into these deals. Um, as I mentioned at the start, I was coming from a fairly low um, finance level when I started this journey. And my intention was always to leverage deals to help me get beyond my current state and move into a more positive state. But to do that, I needed other people's money. And um, I'll, I'll never forget the very first person who put some money in to help me get into the Stratford deal uh, actually was our babysitter who was looking after our son at the time. And she put in 40,000 out of a total of 100,000 she had in, um, in, in cash reserve. And it was significant risk for her and I remember when we were signing the loan agreement together, we were both crying because it was such a, a moment of pure faith in each other that she was entrusting me to do the right thing by her. And I was in awe at her level of trust in my ability to make sure that I held that, I was held to account and made sure that her uh, funds were safe. And I've gone from there and, you know, I've probably worked with about 12 to 15 uh, different lenders along my journey of using other people's money into deals. And the most important thing I can say about when you're working with people, as I said, either in a project or as, um, you know, money partners or private lenders, whatever you want to call them, is being absolutely transparent with them. Take them on the journey. Let them know the highs and lows of everything that's going on. And they will have the patience for when you're a couple of weeks late on an interest payment or whatever it might be. Um, the better your communication, the more honest your communication, the better that relationship will be. Uh, so that has held me in good stead, that belief. That's very nice to hear. And it's, um, yeah, I certainly know that uh, that, that transparency, um, yeah. Nice approach. Uh, and I think that everyone yeah. can learn from that as well. Um, you've touched on a couple of things there and, and we probably should kind of expand a little bit on that as well. Um, did you want to kind of like expand a little bit on other people's money? You've started on that and obviously there's a trust factor and that initial first signing of that um, contract would have been a pivotal point to open the door to many others. 
How has that evolved from that first point to how you, how you perceive it now? Yeah, and, and in, in many ways, nothing's changed because the way that that actually worked at the start was I was able to present an outline of the project in financial terms, but also to go to the risks and the risk mitigants that were in place or that we were focusing on. Um, it was It's so important that if you are looking for someone to come into a deal with you, if you're going to be the owner of that deal and have full accountability to the people who are putting money in, you need to be able to talk to the numbers. You need to understand the numbers. You need to be able to um, present it in a way that both demonstrates confidence, not just in your ability to manage the numbers and the project, but also in the outcome um, that it's destined to achieve so that they know their security is safe, that they know there's cash flow to um, support the returns on whatever basis you've um, agreed with them. Um, and, and that's critical. So if you, if you are shy about talking about your deals and you're lacking a bit of confidence in how you talk about them, work on that. Do some work offline. Go and join Speakmasters or, you know, um, Toastmasters, they're called, in fact. Um, do those things to build up your confidence in your um, vocal skills and your confidence in your sharing of your ideas. It is so essential to building trust with people uh, and I, I cannot stress that enough. Absolutely. And just, just a little bit back in history, how did you find, was the, when you got on stage at the Isle of Real Estate Super Conference that, that those many years ago, was that the first time you've spoken to an, an audience at large? Uh, yeah, I was terrified. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified. Um, and you never know where those conversations are going to go when you're on stage as well. A bit like this one, Michael. You never know what buttons your interviewers are going to push uh, and, and where you might go with it. Um, so yeah, it was it was a bit daunting, and that was the first time I'd I'd been on stage. Um, so, but it was a great experience. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to kind of expand upon that you've mentioned as well is joint ventures. So obviously you have done a lot of joint ventures. How do you approach that, and how has that kind of changed for you as well? doing that first one with just the, the, the two lot subdivision? Yeah, um, what's changed, I guess, is being really clear on um, what the roles are that people have in a JV and being really clear on um, and owning your own personal role, especially. Um, I think there's always a risk that when you get into a, a joint venture with anyone that you can get let down, um, so you can get ripped off. Um, you've really got to be, you've got to do your due diligence on the personalities and the people that you're going to work with, not just the due diligence on the deal. It is so important to do that in, in the joint venture process. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that people don't go into a joint venture with a, an aspect of, well, I think I'll be able to, you know, rip someone off. I don't think that's how people go into a deal, but things can go wrong. And you have to be prepared for when things go wrong, how do we ensure that that's covered? So if you're doing a joint venture, make sure that you're clear on both roles, responsibilities, be really clear on exit strategy. And it could be exit strategy from the project. It could be exit strategy of one of the JV partners, or it could be the exit strategy for yourself. Consider all those aspects. And it's obviously it's a bit hard to exit a JV if you're the one who's leading and guiding the JV. Um, 
but they're all factors to think about. Think about the risks that the project uh, presents, uh, whether the strategy itself comes with risk, whether the region or the area where you're doing the development comes with risks, the people that you have in the project come with risks, and even the, the, the way in which you're going to finance the deal comes with risks. Be really clear on what those are and actually list what are you going to do to mitigate those risks so that they're not going to be something that comes back to bite you partway through the deal and either crushes the deal or creates significant stress between the JV partners. Um, go in with open eyes. Don't assume that everything is just going to work. Proactively work at making sure they do work. And if they don't work, what was your agreed option on how you're going to work through it? Right, nice, nice. Could you could you expand and maybe give an example, obviously without mentioning names or anything, an example of how you've dealt with situations that have been maybe a little bit difficult to to confront and address, and and, and how and what you did in order to kind of carry through. Yeah, look, I, first I'll say that every project, every deal you do is not going to run as perfectly as you think or hope that it will run. So every deal is going to hit bumps in the road and it's going to be a case of how you deal with those bumps in the road. Um, some can be significant and I think every project is a learning project. Um, I've had a very significant learning project in a uh, three unit build in Bendigo. It's a four lot subdivision and building three units behind a house. and I was introduced to that deal from uh, by another student. Um, I didn't do enough due diligence on that individual um, and he really fell apart and was unable to deliver on the promise of what he was going to do for me in that deal. And it meant that my due diligence on him and the due diligence on the proposed construction method, the materials that were going to be used, the materials that are going to be used were styro panels. These are foreign to Bendigo. Um, even now they're probably still foreign, but certainly six years ago they were foreign. Um, so that deal's been going for six years and when you're doing a deal with other people's money, you want to be in and out quickly. So that deal has cost me significantly in the, uh, the I've still got a small trail of money in that, um, in that deal that I need to repay. Um, but the lesson for me in that has been around how to expedite the exit from a deal and if it makes sense to even get out. I looked at that deal and at year four, I was like, should I just sell up and move on and, and cop the loss? I didn't want to do that because it would leave me in a position where I still had other people's money owing and I would have to fund that elsewhere. The best way for me to um, succeed in that deal was actually to complete the deal. And what it meant was that um, I need to, needed to carry it for longer than I expected but the outcome is actually going to work in my favour because the market has risen significantly in the last three years and um, I will actually cover uh, more than enough for my holding costs over that time. In some ways that is luck. Um, in some ways COVID has helped me significantly simply because all of my deals are regional. Um, and as most people know, COVID has been a sensational boom for regional towns. People want to get out of the big cities. Uh, so it's pushed up the land values. It's pushed up the value of my units that I'm building in Bendigo. Um, but I guess coming back to the point, Michael, around um, the JV situation, if you're in a deal where you actually have a formal JV agreement, it may be harder to separate with that opportunity in Bendigo. It was in my very early days of I Love Real Estate. I didn't have a JV agreement with this guy who was going to be my builder for the deal. I didn't have anything in writing that would make him accountable for anything. 
So it was left with me to cop it on the chin and say, well, that was my screw up. I have to own that and I'm just going to find a way to move forward. And I did. And, and, and in some ways, luckily for me, it's worked out. But I've now got a fantastic builder engaged. We've switched from using styro panels to more traditional materials. Um, and um, he's going to be a potential JV builder partner for another deal in Bendigo. Um, so there can be good things coming out of painful deals. Um, but just be prepared that every deal is going to have pain at some point. It might be a little bit finger prick or it might be almost a severing of a finger. Uh, sometimes you've got to be willing to go with the punches and uh, just keep working at it. Every time you get hit with something, instead of, oh, this is too hard, how can I get out of this? That might be the way to get out of it or to exit the, the pain. But in most cases, you've got to stop and ask the question, okay, what else can I do? And if you keep asking, okay, what can I do now? What's next? Keep coming from positivity and action. Don't sit there and freeze and say, oh God, I'm screwed. There's always a way and you've got to find a way to get out. Mark, I love your integrity and your taking responsibility and and uh, and your attitude, man. It's 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 really nice to see, really beautiful to see. Thanks, and, I, and, and I can see that 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 really has put you in a good stead in regards to um, continue on and being successful in this in this area. Um, now, look for everyone listening as well. If you do have you know any kind of comments or questions that you want to share as well, we do have the chat box open. We will be able to check and see you know every now and then. We'll we'll, we'll kind of scroll across to those as well. So if you do have questions. Yeah, I Toss them in there. Sorry, Michael. I'd, yeah, I do see the question from Sarasa in there, and it's a it's a really good question. <clears throat> and for the people on Facebook, it's how do you, how do you do due diligence on a JV partner when you're new to the community? Um, the the best thing you can do is ask that person for references. Show me people who you've done deals for, um, and show me the nature of the deal. And I want to talk to those individuals. Get the numbers. Have a chat with them. You can always still be set up that you might be talking to a friend of theirs who might gloss over the pain, but it's then up to you to ask some of the harder questions. What was your but what was your profit expectation from the deal that you did? Um, did you achieve the outcome? What were the challenges that you came across? Um, did they honour everything that they needed to deliver for the project? There's always going to be risks that a JV partner, um, you know may not work out for you. It may be that your due diligence is still going to not unearth uh, any real risks. Um, I don't know how much you can do to uh, protect yourself in those in those spaces. You can ask the JV partner, show me your balance sheet. Um, show me where you're at with your assets and liabilities and everything else. Get a bit of confidence as to their financial backing as much as you can. They can always present lies. You can ask for audited um, accounting uh, report so something from their accountant showing their profit and loss and balance sheet might be going too far but those are the things you might want to do to protect yourself and if if I was getting into a deal with someone and someone said well you show me all that before I hand over half a million well if I really want that half a million I'm going to show them everything I can and if I don't have the balance sheet or the or the project pipeline that supports what I'm trying to do with that individual I shouldn't take their money So thanks for the question. And Mark, we've just had Robin saying that these are great questions uh, to put them in the chat. Um, one of the things about this is that we will record this uh, and we'll put it up on the members website as well to review later. Um, the live stream going to Facebook, you can always click onto it as well and, and review it. All right, but mate, thank you so much for that. Um, 
All right. Now, look, we did have a look at the the kind of like <laughs> how things happen with JVs. Can, can we have a little flip side? How does it work from the positive side? What's it like for you and how have you kind of like benefit not only yourself, but others? And, 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 and how did that work from your side? Uh Sorry, I'm trying. I'm trying to understand what you mean. Let's let's go again. What, what do you joint mean? Joint ventures. We've had a look at the issues yep. and and the difficulties in order to deal yep. with things that come up. Mm -hmm. What about the flip side? How does it go for you when you first had to complete a joint venture with your joint venture partner, and you've come out profit wise? How did the profit work out? And what was it like for you to know that you've accomplished a deal together, and you've both benefited? Can you give us a bit of insight from that side of things as well? Yeah, and I'll and I'll preface this by saying my first deal in I Love Real Estate was that two lot subdivision. So we know we didn't make much money out of that, and I think we made about five thousand each, and that was after a year. So it wasn't a great return, but we learned a process, and we learned uh, we learned about the A team that we had that we could use going forward. Um, the next deal after that was that ninety lot subdivision in Stratford. Well, that's currently finishing stage five, which is with which is the last stage. So that deal hasn't finished yet. It is a multi-stage deal, which are the types of deals I prefer because you do all your hard work planning up front, which can take anywhere from six months to three years. But once you're done, every stage can just tick along like another project. And if the stages are large enough, you'll be able to distribute profit at the end of each stage. And certainly there's great joy in finally getting to end of a, a stage where you've got a point where you can actually distribute some income. And I remember in Stratford, it wasn't until the end of stage three that we were actually in a position to actually pay us back something because the first stage kind of the profit paid for the land. The second stage, the profit paid kind of caught up the latent construction and design costs. And it was finally in stage three where we got into the black. So clearly stage four was profitable and so will stage five. Um, but being in a position to um, share the rewards when they come at the end of each stage is important. It's important to stop and celebrate as well. Um, <clears throat> And JVs can be very challenging, but they can be extremely rewarding because without the input from the JV partners, I could not do the projects I'm doing now. Um, I couldn't have done that simple three unit build in Bendigo. I certainly couldn't have done a 90 lot subdivision off my own bat. Um, <clears throat> I've got a 68 premise development in Warrnambool. I couldn't do that off my own bat. It comes back to having good money partners behind you to help make it happen and having a good JV partner who is doing the doing because I'm not the strategy execution expert. I'm more the money man, contracts man and the deal maker. But I really need someone who is the construction manager builder um, and the designer and the town planner to be engaged. And so if as long as in the JV, you have people with the skills to complement what you need for the project, you can have a very successful project provided they're good at doing what it is you need them to do. Um, when you have success in a JV, the first thing you look for is how can we do this again? So, you know, with my team that I've got down in Stratford, um, I've got a fantastic head of the construction company who was in that joint venture. Um, we've got the town planner. He wasn't in the deal, but he's certainly a key supplier. Um, and the engineering and design company, outstanding skills. There were, there were no faults that came through from any of their design and engineering work that had been done. 
as a precursor to each stage or to the overall project. So what you look for at the end of a deal is how can we do this again? Because I know how hard it is to find good people like the people I'm working with. So I want to I want to leverage them for another deal. And in that particular instance, I had um, two other JV partners and the head of the construction company. So there were four in the deal. Um, of the two who were more involved in the sales of the of the of the uh, the individual lots, one of them has got enough going on in her space. She's like, I don't need another one of these. I'm doing doing better out of my own house and land package bills and just building things for uh, long-term passive income. Um, but the other one is certainly interested in working together and helping me sell uh, the next deal. So I'm not gonna put the moz on it, but I might have another 20 acres in that area where I'm uh, just waiting for the contract. And I've already got the construction company lined up. The land surveyor has already done the due diligence on the deal for me. And the sales guy has already said he's um, really keen to help me sell them. So you want the outcome of a good joint venture should be how you can work with them again because you've already done the groundwork you've already proven their capabilities don't waste that opportunity find a way to leverage it again nice mark nice awesome okay you mentioned something and i wanted to just highlight it as well there's a couple of questions coming through um but i wanted to just find out you seem to have an ability to turn anything into an opportunity. <laughs> Regardless of the difficult circumstance, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a pretty amazing attitude that you've got here in regards to no matter what comes up, you can somehow go, how can I find the opportunity? This is a bit of a, is it a, is it a personal development thing? How, how do you, where, where does this attitude come from, from you? Look, I... I, 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 don't, I don't know is the answer. Um, in, in many ways, I think that um, I've just learned that you've got to own your own shit. So if there's something going on, there is no point sitting there blaming other people and saying, woe is me, look what they've done to me. You know, I, I must say quite honestly, I, I started off really bitter with the guy who I got involved with in Bendigo. But after about 18 months of a lot of that uh, depression and internalizing everything that was going on at the time, that was really hard. It almost cost me my marriage. It was really dark days, very dark days um, because it was my first deal. You cannot afford your first deal to go wrong, especially when you're not coming in with a heavy cash position. So I didn't have the ability to fall back and say, oh, well, I'll just have to you know, write it off and move on. I couldn't do that. I had to find a way to fight and to keep going. Um, so I spoke to about five different builders to find a way to make this project work. And three of those builders said to me, forget it, sell it, move on, cop the loss, move on. That's easy for him to stay. I wasn't in a position to do that. I was renting. I didn't have a PPR, didn't have a line of credit, didn't have equity I could rely on and fall back on. So for me, it was about, um, you know, stopping blaming the other individual and say, well, I'm the one who got into bed with that person. I said yes to the deal that he presented to me. I didn't ask enough questions. And interestingly enough, I actually have a, a, a personal group from my boot camp back in 2012, and we still meet regularly every month. And I love those guys. They have been a great support for me, and I've been for them too. We share our pain, we share our success, um, but there's always a way in which people can um, help answer some of the questions or challenges that come along. So. 
the first thing I'll say to you, if you're new to this network, build your own network. You know, the networking in this group is what will hold you in good stead in the future. So please do that for your own benefit. Get out and meet people. Find out who are doing things. Who's doing things well rather than just talking about it? Um, I'll come back to that. Um, but in terms of having a having a positive attitude, it's just that I think this whole I Love Real Estate community and, and Dimpner and all her speakers that she's had at countless conferences along the way has been the message of building that resilience and always asking, how can I? Um, I think we, I, I have, I don't know about many others, but I grew up in a family where there was so much, not negativity, but always a question of people who were succeeding. And it's like, oh, I wonder what they do for a living. They probably rob banks or, you know, earning a lot of money or making a lot of money was seen as a negative thing. So, you know, you're kind of battling with your, your own upbringing and the barriers that were put in place and the, the ceiling that were put on what's possible in life. So many people uh, come away with an unconscious belief that they can never earn more than what their father did. You know, um, I didn't have a problem earning three times what my father did. Um, you know, that was a change in the times, but I certainly didn't want to be held to account by my upbringing. Life can be more than what you've grown up with or the inhibitors that you've grown up with. So um, I've always looked at an opportunity and said, well, okay, well, how could, how could you make it work? I can see what's not good about it, but I can see that there's upside. How could we make that work? Are those risks able to be counted? Um, if they can't, then let the deal go away for sure, but at least have an honest look at it. Um, so coming back to, I guess, a little bit about resilience and I've, I've, I've had to build a lot of resilience. I haven't been a very resilient person with our uh, business failing, uh, the business I was in with my wife, uh, coming away from that with significant debt. I came away from that demoralized. I, my confidence was shattered. Um, I had a lot of work to do on resilience and it's been the strength of this community incredibly has helped me get through that. It's, uh, it's been a, quite a, a, a personal development journey, would you say? Look, it has. Um, uh, there have been, I, I, you know, I decided at the start, when I did this, when I signed up for this development in Warrnambool, this 68 premise development, I don't kid myself that I'm operating well above my level of capability. But I've got a really good JV partner driving that project for me from a construction design and um, build perspective. And um, I couldn't do it without him, especially. Um, but also look at it from the point of view that I need someone else to also give me an independent view of that. So I undertook, I signed up for Platinum 18 months ago. And the reason I did that is because I wanted to make sure that if I'm putting other people's money into a project of this significance that I believe is a fantastic project and I'm, I know I've got the right guy who's going to help me deliver on that, I want to respect the investment from people in this community and my friends and family who have put money into that project by having someone looking over my shoulder and making sure that I'm not making any critical mistakes. So I signed up to Platinum. I've had uh, regular sessions with Narelle, my coach. I love her to death. She's absolutely fantastic. And um, whenever I hit something that I think I need to run this by Narelle, 
I've been able to do that. I don't mean this to sound like an ad for platinum. What I'm getting at is I take accountability that if I'm taking on risk and I'm willing to ask people to put in a million dollars through a group of people into a project, I need to make sure that their investment is safe and I want them to know that I'm doing everything to keep their investment safe. And signing up for platinum was one of the things I could do at the time to help mitigate the risk that, oh, but you don't have experience in this. No, I don't, but I've hired a business coach and she is helping me make sure I don't make any critical mistakes. I've got a JV partner who has got a, a rap sheet for all the success that he's done in the area um, that shows um, you know, that I've got the right people on the team uh, to make it work. And for me, that's just a, a, a step of taking personal accountability. But the reason I brought up Narelle is Narelle and I have had uh, many sessions where we'll talk about things and it's such a personal journey for me that um, I might share some insights or I'll be so in awe of what I'm doing, I'll actually bring myself to tears um, because I just love what I'm doing. Um, I believe what I'm doing is good in terms of the community that I'm um, creating for in terms of the product I'm building. Um, but also that um, I'm respecting the investors who are with me along the way. And I'm still in awe of the fact that people will trust me to, um, to put their money into deals and invest it wisely and give them the return that they're promised. And it's not that I don't believe I can do that. I'm still in that awe of myself that I'm able to present the opportunity in a way that builds their confidence both in me and the deal. And that's why I bring it back to you've you've really got to work on yourself, do that personal development on yourself if you need it so that you can speak confidently about the deal and the numbers. You know, it's, it's so important. And so, yes, Michael, it's been an absolute um, personal journey for me and I'm, I, I'm not willing to share a deal, promote a deal, um, or bring any investors into a deal that I don't have 100% faith in the fact that I can deliver on the outcome by having the right team engaged or filling the gaps of where there's a, there's a clear gap in the doing, in the funding, or in the whatever aspect of the deal. Fantastic, man. Thank you again for for sharing. Uh, I wanted to just clarify maybe one more thing and then maybe we can go through some of the some of the actual deals with numbers as well, if you're cool with that. Um, and that is that with the what you've done personal development wise and changes, how has that flowed on into your life? How has it flowed onto your family? And and how has that impacted, you know, you know, your yeah. son. Remember I said before, there's always a risk that the interviewer is going to push some buttons that you're not ready for. <laughs> I don't um, remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, it's, it, it's, it's been fantastic for me. I mean, after, after um, Michelle and our business kind of ended up having to be wrapped up and leaving us in a pretty bad situation, um, we'd been renting for 18 years and you know, you could say we were professional renters because really rather than putting money in to buy our own place, I wanted to put whatever cash reserves we did have into our own deals and find a way to trade ourselves out of that debt effectively. Um, and it was only 18 months ago that we were finally in a position where we could buy our own place. And that was also with a bit of help from family to do that. Um, 
but we were only able to do it because we had finally got ourselves into a much more positive position to do it. So in terms of what it's what the property journey has done for us ourselves, it's certainly allowed us to um, buy our own home. Um, so it's given us some of that um, physical security that you know we all kind of uh, hanker for. Um, but it's also recovered my confidence both in myself and in, in my ability to sell a um, sell an outcome um, that I truly believe in, but be able to, uh, not just because I have the skills to be able to articulate the finances and the risks and, and the mechanics of the deal, but actually have the confidence in the deal. And I hope that when I'm talking about it to potential investors, that I'm portraying an honesty that comes with that. Because not only am I not speaking just from a, I hope that what I'm saying is true, I believe what I'm saying is true. And, you know, I, I think that it, this journey has helped me build the confidence to be able to portray that. And in, in, in some ways, as I've said to Michael many times before, and he knows that I wear my heart on my sleeve and sometimes that's to my own detriment, but at least I know that when I'm interacting with people, they are getting honesty. And if I've got concerns about something, I'll just call it out because it's like, why internalize something that's going on for you if it's something that you should need to share to ensure that people know the truth of what's going on if there are challenges, deal with it. The best way to deal with the problem is to actually put it out there. And uh, you don't have to be the sole person to work on those problems. Uh, it can be the team that actually comes up with ideas. Uh, so the network that I have created and, and work with and am supported by, and I think I saw Noel on the, on the attendee list is part of the group. Um, you know, I love the fact that we can share the challenges that we have, bounce ideas off people um, and gain from someone else's experience. You don't have to do it all yourself. And all of that has flowed on into my family life that I see so much of what we do and COVID's presented me with an opportunity to work from home pretty much for the last 18 months. And that means that I'm around more for my family. I can be more interactive with them. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm close to a point where I'm actually, and we might expand on this later, Michael, but I'm, I'm close to a point where I can leave my full-time job and focus purely on property. And the thing that's been the greatest challenge is that effectively I've been working two jobs. I've been working in my full-time job and I've been working in property. And so it does take up evenings. It does take up time on weekends. Um, Dimpna keeps running all these wonderful workshops that people want me to attend and I know I should attend. Um, so I try to make time for the ones that are important to me at the time. Um, I don't have the luxury of attending everything and just trying to soak everything in. And I, I start to get very strategic as to what do I need now and do I need the one that's on this weekend? Um, <clears throat> but I'm looking forward to transition so that I can give back to my family the freedom they've given me to invest in what I've been doing for the last five or six years. And um, for me, the greatest return is going to be when I can stop that full-time work, hopefully by October, and purely work in property part-time, every day of the week, three days a week, whatever it is I feel like, and have more time with my son who's homeschooled um, and more time for my wife who I've, we've really sacrificed holidays and everything else to do what we've been doing. So payback is coming, Michael, for the family, for sure. That's very nice to hear and very well earned. So. Mark, just a, just a bit of a, uh, uh, an insight into some of the deals, if we can. Um, the Bendigo deal you mentioned is six years in the making. Did you want to give us a bit of a bit of an overview of, of how that came about and where it's currently at? 
because I think it's almost at lockup stage. Is that correct? Oh, it's past lockup. It's lock almost up, yeah. a certificate of occupancy. Yeah. So yep. the build is almost finished. They've just, uh, I think, this week or early next week, they're finishing the driveway, the common driveway to the rear three units, um, and the carports were being done this week. And so then once the driveway's in, they'll finish the interior, the carpets, the blinds and all the rest of it. Um, so it's very close to the end, but um, it's almost as though the very first part of the deal, so the very first year or two was about getting the design right, the concepts right, the manufacturing uh, materials um, or the construction materials, I should say, making sure that was right, finding the right builder. I was still on the styro panel journey. So I went through another, you know, 18 months to two years of pain of trying to find a builder who was willing to do it in styro panel. And the reason was oh, why I was sticking with styro panel was that was the original FISO that was presented to me by this builder. And um, once I had to work independently with the different panel manufacturers, I quickly realized that a project of this size, only three units, won't get the economies of scale that large developments do who implement using panel type uh, materials. So I had a quote from one uh, manufacturer of panels who said he thinks he could do it for about 200K. And I thought, wow, 200K for the three of them, that's pretty good. He said, no, that's each. And it just killed it right then. The project was dead in terms of doing anything with panels because there is no way you could make it work economically. Um, so then switching to traditional build, going through a redesign, forgetting that my initial approved planning permit was coming up to expiry. By the time I realized it expired, it was too late to get it renewed. Um, so I had to go back through the process again um, with a new design because I was using new materials. Um, there were so many lessons learned in that project. But the last two years has been more heartening. Once I found the right builder, had the plans drawn up, got back through town planning. Um, I actually reached out to um, Kevin Dudney's um, team for some assistance with the town planning, just to try to be a little more creative in how to push it through, what things we could save on. Um, and, and this was one of, the, one of the lessons that I got from this is that don't just think you have to just stick to the town planning rules. There are always ways in which you could try to negotiate either with council or through your private town planner to try and a smarter way to do it. So for example, in the time that my planning permit lapsed and I had to reapply, there was a change in the planning rules where the new 35% garden area rule came into play in Victoria. And that bit me hard because to try to build three units behind a house, there is no way I could achieve 35%. It was gonna be very tough. Um, so I had a few conversations with council, one being the fact that the very initial endorsed plans actually couldn't be built. So the council had endorsed plans that could not be constructed. So I held them a little bit to account on that and said, look, <clears throat> because of this situation, I've got, I've got to come back. I'm trying to make this work. Um, I should have been able to build what you said I could build, but I couldn't because someone in your team had made a mistake. Um, how can I do this given the new garden area rule? And they agreed to allow me to create a, to get a planning permit for a four lot subdivision and three, um, three dwelling build. Now doing the four lot subdivision meant that a 25% garden area rule now applied to those rear units. 
I didn't have to stick to the 35% rule. It was a way of kind of working around that, but only because they allowed me to have a two-step planning permit. First step, do the subdivision. Second step, do the build, but to do it all under one planning permit. So that helped me get around that somewhat. Um, and that's all coming back to having a good team to rely upon and to reach out to, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, and I, and I guess getting to to the end. I mean, the last two years, yes, it's been much more positive. Uh, glad to say, um, but also originally I was looking at building these and selling them because that was the only way I could repay all of the debt that I had associated with the deal, because of the way the market has moved. Uh, to give you an idea, in the original FISO, I would have these units at the end would have been valued somewhere between 220 and 240 each. Now the forecast from the real estate agents on the on the resale potential is 300 to 340. So it allows me to be in a position where there's most likely going to be very good equity in it once it's finished, that I can get it revalued, extract 80% across each of the four titles, and be able to clear my debts and be in a position where I can hold them, rent them and have passive income of about 35,000 per year. Uh, so, and, and that's covering 100% of that interest cost. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that outcome becoming a reality. And I'll certainly be happy to share if my expectations come to fruition. Um, but having that 35,000 passive is gonna be a massive step to me walking away from my full-time job. Awesome. Awesome. That's that's that that's pretty impressive after six years. Yeah, it's been a labor of love. So I, I hope this is the only learning project of this scale I ever have to do because a three a three unit build and a four lot subdivision you should be able to do within two, two and a half years. Worst case. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey Mark, now there's a couple of questions that have come up if we want to grab these quickly, if that's cool. Um Brad was asking, uh, do you think your babysitter was naive to lend you initially? Uh, naive might be um, a harsh judgment on her. I think she she might have been um, fortunate that she was dealing with someone who was certainly dealing with total trust and honesty with her as well. Um, she may have been naive from the point of view that she did not understand property. She did not know what questions to ask. She was certainly naive in um, not understanding whether she needed to have a caveat on the property and things like that from a protecting her security. From her point of view, the security that she had in the project was me. She knew I was in a, um, a full-time role. She knew that I was earning good money. Um, she certainly wasn't asking how much other money do you need? So she wanted to know whether, you know, she didn't ask the question to know if her 40K was going to be a big piece or a little piece of the total money I needed. So in that way, she was probably naive. Um, yeah, I think the hard part is that if you're going to go to friends and family outside of this community, they're not going to ask all the hard questions that you will get from people within this community. And I've certainly dealt with both. And I've got family who come in purely on trust. They come in not just because it's me, but they come in because I'm able to articulate what the project looks like. I can show them the full feasibility of the project. Um, 
I can give them a sense of when their exit might be. Um, for example, I've got uh, one of the investors who put money up into my both combination of Stratford and the Bendigo project because they're both um, owned under the same trust. Um, he's had money in those deals for five years and he's rolling his money across into Warrnambool. He's very happy that he gets his interest on time every quarter. Um, you know, structure the deals the way that you can afford to carry them. Um, if there are challenges in carrying them, be honest with them about, hey, listen, we're hitting some tar hard times. Um, I've actually, you know, I've, whenever I have a loan agreement with my investors, I will always have a, um, an optional extension in the, in the loan agreement. So for example, I might have a one or two year loan agreement, but it will have a three or six months optional extension. That is totally at my option, not theirs. I need security that I know I'm not gonna be in default if something happens to the project and it's running slightly late, that I can say, hey, listen, I've got a call out that I need to uh, take up that extension. Um, you know, which I've done for my um, Warrnambool project simply because COVID has slowed things down. It slowed it down in town planning. It got held up by um, cultural heritage and the local Aboriginal corporation um, wanting to delay until they got their cream on the cake out of it as well. So there are so many things that can hold up a project, things that you can be in control of and things you can't. Cultural heritage, I'll say you can control the process, but you can't control the time. Um, and when it comes to things like COVID, we are all just at the whim of the economy, the market and um, the CHOs of every state. You know, we have no idea what's coming. But if, but if my projects were in Metro, I would be in a worse position, but I'm so glad that they're in regional. And that was just luck because I could afford regional, I couldn't afford Metro. So I don't know, does that answer the question, Michael? I've almost forgotten the question. <laughs> I think you've done more than enough. Yes, <laughs> more on that one. Okay. <laughs> um, now look, if we want to get back to, 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 the, to the Stratford deal, could you give us a little bit of an insight to that in an overview? Like it's obviously, it's a huge deal. Um, and it's, you had quite an amazing day come as well, a big day that occurred at, at the end of it. But could you give us an idea of how that occurred and, and how that deal was structured? Because it's uh, 88 lots, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's, um, yes, what Michael's alluding to is I, I did have a million dollar day. Uh, we did have at the settlements of stage four, uh, we had, I think it was 22 lots all settling in and around the same time. And we probably had, I think 16 of those lots all settle within about three days. Um, but it was uh, because the, the deal was structured in a way that the, the key, uh, sorry, the major expense in the development is the roads and drainage and all the site clearing and leveling. Uh, so the heavy construction works um, and that's separate from the sewerage and water main works, uh, which we did have to pay for during each stage. But the, um, the roads and um, drainage works was able to be paid for at the end of each stage. So, for example, in that stage, it might have been about a 700k bill that we'd accumulated from the construction company, which didn't need to be paid until we got the settlements. So I was in the fortunate situation where I could actually see the cash in the bank before I paid him. And I thought, I might be waiting a while before I can take a screenshot of a bank balance of uh, over a million dollars. So um, I, I took that screenshot and I'm, I'm pretty sure I shared it on the ultimate group. I was just so 
proud of the fact this project was delivering. And um, so I shared our million dollar day, but it was certainly not a million dollars for the investors. Um, the, the following day after I shared that post, I think I paid the construction company about 660,000. So, uh, but it's, you know, the rest was all the, the hangover profit in, the, in that particular stage. So it was a, a nice outcome. Uh, but yes, very exciting to, uh, to have that million dollar day as you call it, Michael. Indeed, indeed. Uh, now, look, there's a couple other questions here. Um, uh, can you share your short-term and long-term goals? Do you have a yearly goal in terms of how much you aim to earn each year? Or do you have projects you aim to achieve each year? That's from Tracy. And she also said, how many projects do you typically have at the same time? Yeah, good questions, Tracy. Um, Look, I'd, let me answer the second question first. Um, <clears throat> I like to have three or four deals happening at the same time, but not being all in a heavy demand from a time perspective at the same time. Um, I think it's good to have, what's the old expression? Uh, one's in the bowl, one's in the oven, one's on the table cooling and one's already getting eaten. You know, if you use the cake analogy. Um, I like to think it's the same with property, that it's always good to have a pipeline that's coming along that's gonna deliver something. So I like to have projects that are in planning um, whilst I've got projects in construction. And I mentioned earlier that I like the idea of the stage developments, because you do your, your de-risking and your planning work all up front. And yes, the big deals are harder to, harder to do from a financial perspective, but if, if, if the deal is simply saying, well, instead of three partners or two partners or even one partner, we need four, um, if the outcome is going to be greater than what you do if you could only do a deal on your own, go for the bigger deal. Um, th those stage deals mean that you've, you've got a cookie cutter approach that doesn't require heavy town planning for each stage because it's already been pre-approved. You might still need your building permits for each of the um, elements of the project, um, but, and you've still got to go to town planning to say, okay, this is the next stage. For a land subdivision, it might be, this is what the next stage, uh, the plan of subdivision will look like. Um, council will sign off on that up front because it's consistent with what's already been pre-approved. It makes the going easier. Um, in a construction perspective with the Warrnambool project, um, once the development approval is through, you just need to ensure that your, um, your plans that you're submitting to council are in line with that development approval. And if, they, if it doesn't, if, it's, if, if it works to the building code and it's in line with the development approval, council will sign off on it pretty quickly. So we got our endorsed plans for uh, the first two or three buildings in that warnable development fairly quickly, way more quickly if we were doing standalone developments and each of those endorsed plans uh, was required as part of applying for an individual planning permit for each one as well. So I like to have multiple projects, but I like to have them in being staged projects. So I know that every year I'm gonna have one or two stages completing in a project to start giving back. Cause I'm, you know, I'm, whilst I'm in a position where I'm, I'm now starting to see some of the fruits of my hard work um, it's, you know, Bendigo is going to finish, I'll be able to extract my equity. So there's a chunk. Um, Stratford is going to finish stage five in October with settlements. 
we'll be able to pull some cash out for all the shareholders. So there'll be another chunk that comes out then. Won't be significant, but might only be 100K for each shareholder, but it's still a nice chunk for sure. Um, and for people who are starting out and looking for their first reno, 100K return from a deal is, is a significant amount of money. You know, so it's all relative to where you're at in your thinking. So <clears throat> I don't trivialize the fact that there's 100K coming and say it's only 100K. 100K is 100K and it'll make a difference to my life because it means that I can take that 100K and I can reduce, put it into Warnable and I can reduce some of the debt in Warnable to make that project more profitable, which benefits me as the shareholder. Um, so multi-stage and having multiple projects and, and the key in that is if you've got a project in planning whilst you've got one in construction, presumably by the time you finish that construction, your planning is almost is done or almost done and you're ready to go into the detailed design or even the construction activity. So you can then start to feed off some of the profits coming from those projects that are in flight to feed some of your projects that are still in the pipeline. Uh, so yes, very important to have different projects, but at different stages, most importantly, to balance that risk. Uh, okay. So, uh, sorry, what was the first question again? I've forgotten. <laughs> It's all good. I think you've covered the majority of that one, Mark. Hey, look, um, look, we're, 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 we're at the hour and I think there was just a couple of other things that um, I'd like to cover off. And I'm sorry, we can't, I don't think we can get to all the questions. There's a, there's a few there. Uh, but the one thing I wanted to know was, where would you suggest, obviously, whether it be a new student or existing student getting started, what's your recommendations? Where do you su suggest that they start? Start in the areas that you are most comfortable in. I, I, I really don't think that when you're starting, it's the point where you should be taking high risk into unknown areas. Follow the basics, do the three things that you should do, you know, do the, um, the grid variance analysis to target your areas. Think about the strategy that you want to target in that area, because some areas might be good for particular strategies. So you want to have some clarity around what it is you're looking for before you even do your, um, your grid variance work. Um, but do the strategy and choose the strategy that's not just comfortable for you, but sits well with your lifestyle as well. If you're um, a single parent and you've got some major things tying you to home, it might be that your first deal is a money partner deal where you aren't putting in time, but you're putting in money where you can learn from the journey. Um, play the role that fits your lifestyle or that you can stretch to without putting yourself at significant risk. That's would be my first suggestion. Um, but even as a precursor to that, I would make sure that you've done the education. Just learn as much as you can so that you're in a position where you can ask as many smart and as many dumb questions as you can at the outset. So if you're doing a deal with someone, don't be afraid to ask a lot of, you know, what you might consider dumb questions. They might be dumb questions, but they're answering things you don't know. So they're not dumb. So invest in the learning. <clears throat> don't overstretch yourself too far. And don't do what I did. Don't go from two lots to 90 lots. Um, <clears throat> I remember Dimpner calling me out at several boot camps, excuse me, <coughs> uh, where she would be presenting about subdivisions and um, she would actually say to the group, and I remember being in a room full of, you know, 300 people and she'd say, 
Now, I'm not expecting you all to go out and go from a two lot subdivision to a 90 lot subdivision. And then she'd look at me and go, am I Mark? <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. She, she does that, yes, <laughs> to highlight a point. <coughs> yes, she's done that several times to me when I've been in the room. Yeah, um, That's all right, I love the notoriety. Um, so challenge yourself, but be kind to yourself. I guess that kind of sums it up. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and one last one, Mike. You mentioned and before a little bit about money doesn't feed your soul, and I wanted to just kind of ask you a question about that, and then just kind of end off a well and go, well, what what does what does feed it now? Yeah, let let me put this in context. Money provides security. There's no question about that. <clears throat> everyone is in a different level of their comfort when it comes to their personal security, when it comes to finances. I've been very <clears throat> privileged in that I've never had to worry about a roof over my head or where the next meal is coming from or how we're going to pay for the shopping. I did have some very challenging days when we were in business together uh, in the family business and I'd be paying bills before we paid rent. There were times in the early days of my development, uh, especially with Bendigo, that I was paying my investors their return before I paid my rent. And I would let my rent slip two weeks, worst case. Never to the point where we got a notice, but I would allow it to be a week, 10 days late, simply because I did not want to let my investors down and I knew that in 10 days I could pay my rent because I had something else coming in. So I've never been in a position where I where my personal security and safety for family was at risk. So I don't want to trivialize what it might mean to some people. So money means a lot to people who have to sleep in their car. Yeah. Um, for me, money is about helping create the lifestyle and the opportunities that I want my family to have. That's what money means to me. And if it means that I can have the time with my family that I wouldn't otherwise have, then yeah, bring it on. More money, please, because I want more time with my family. Um, for me, it's not about buying big toys. I've, I've dreamt about having a yacht because I'm a sailor. I've done ocean racing. I really love the open water. I would love to do that. And we could probably spend an hour just talking about that particular aspect of my life. Um, but I'm, I'm not into the big toys. Um, not personal toys. We might buy a caravan soon, but you know that's all about the lifestyle that comes with that. Um, so I don't need the flashy car and, and, and those types of things. Um, that's not what the money's for for me. Um, if I was getting 150 grand a year out of property, my family would be fairly comfortable. If I can do 250 to 400,000 a year in property, whether it's money coming in from chunk deals or passive, that's life changing. Not for me. It's life-changing for the people that I can change. Sorry. And you're doing that, Mark. And that's where I want to get to. I want to get to a point where I can help change people's lives who are below that line that I talked about. Thank you. That's all right. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I've got to say, Mark, this has been a really beautiful time to be able to um, hear you share. Um, you've got a very 
high integrity within yourself and when you deal with others. Um, and it's such a privilege to have you as a part of this community. And I really just, you know, my hat's off to you to, 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 to share. Um, a lot of people here as well. I think they, there's got some great responses as well from everyone. Sadly, we're going to have to end it off, but because we're kind of like we're pushing a bit time. But Mark, I think there is something that's going to come up a little bit towards the end of the year as well. Um, and for those of you who don't know, and we mentioned a little bit earlier on, is that the I Love Real Estate Super Conference is where Dipney gets a lot of students up on stage. And uh, I believe, Mark, you might be putting in your application this coming year. To share even more. Yeah. <laughs> Share even more, show more of my soul. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that this year. I'm, I mean, I've, I've, I've looked back over the last few years and, and we've had conversations over the last couple of years about me, you know, feeling comfortable to put a submission forward. And I actually wasn't comfortable because I hadn't turned around my Bendigo project in particular. And I did, and I, I did not think that I deserved to be up on stage talking about the things that I'm doing when that project has still been a dog to me. And um, it's this year that I, that, I've, that I always thought 2021 was gonna be the year when my hard work of the last six years really comes to fruition in that I start to get some equity and, and profit out of um, uh, the Stratford project. I, I start to, I get Bendigo completed and either extract equity or sell. Um, you know, I'm now at a stage where I'm really feeling the, um, the success of those individual deals and, um, you know, I'd, I'd be really proud to be able to share that. And uh, yeah, the success story is certainly uh, something I want to do later this year. So I'll certainly throw my hat in the ring for people to consider uh, worthy of success in that uh, forum. Um, but I'm really humbled to be able to have the opportunity both to be part of this network and to um, have the time and the opportunity to talk about what I do. And I really appreciate that, Michael. It's an absolute pleasure, Mark. Um, thank you so much. Thank you to everyone joining on as well. Um, we'll probably have to end that off there. And we, and you haven't even kind of expanded on the Warnable project either, have you? Uh, no, that's a big one. And that's a whole other subject. <laughs> <laughs> we, we would need another half an hour. Okay. But, uh, right. but I'm very excited by that. We've only just started construction. We've started the site works and the slab got poured yesterday, which some of the Platinums would have seen a post I put up. Um, I'm really excited about there, where that one's going. And uh, uh, I got interviewed by uh, one of the local reporters yesterday. Um, sadly, I wasn't prepared for the interview. So I, I, I had my slobby clothes on rather than uh, um, dressed smartly for an interview, but such is life. So the, uh, the shabby looking developers on page two of the Warnable Standard today. <laughs> awesome. But I'm, I'm really excited by that. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Mark, thank you so much and everyone. And uh, I don't know if you've seen as well, there's some beautiful comments coming back uh, in response to um, how you've shared as well, Mark. So um, yeah, for everyone- Yeah, a chance to read them all, but thank you. Thank you for all your lovely comments. It's uh, yeah. great to share. Yeah, and we will be putting the recording together and we'll be putting it up onto the members only website. So you will be able to review this at a later point in time. So thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, it's, gee, we've gone a little bit over the hour. Um, but uh, appreciate everyone joining and we will be doing this again as well in the future. We're going to be kind of making this a regular occurrence um, and uh, you'll have to wait and see who comes next. But uh, for Mark, who's first today, thank you so much. And we'll end off there.
Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mark, and thanks everyone for joining. We'll end off, and um, we'll uh, certainly see you see you around. Hey, you will. Bye, everyone. Okay. Bye now.